Awesome. I, I keep coming with these stories. Um, this is part of our, our new thing that we're doing. Um, and so I'm looking forward to regularly hearing from all of you and um, at some point, right? Because we're all going to have good stories to share. Um, we're in the book of Mark, and that's been our series um, that we just began. Uh, and the way we're looking at Mark is, well, first of all, let me uh, hang on a second. Let me set my timer so I am faithful to keeping to the time that I'm trying to keep us all on. So uh, we began in the book of Mark, and what we did was uh, talk about three sections. And so the three sections that we're going to look at over the course of, our, of the weeks to come is the first section, which is the time that Jesus is in Galilee. Um, and then the second section is his journey from Galilee to Jerusalem. And then the third section is when Jesus is in Jerusalem and what happens there. The tools we're using are the tools of comedy, tragedy, and fairy tales. So these are devices that are used in literature, as you know. And, um, and so we're going to use those. Uh, it's much more consistent with how the Gospels are written. Gospels are not like a bullet point presentation. Uh, they're not a manual on how to build this new, uh, uh, this new shelf system that you just purchased and you've got to put things together. It's not that kind. It's not the way the Bible's written at all, uh, particularly not the Gospels. It's much more like a painting. Painting invites you to try to understand what the uh, painter, the, uh, the, the one who, uh, the artist who put all that time and energy into it, what was the artist feeling? What was the artist trying to communicate? But that's not it, because every painting at its, and every painter at his or her core wants you to enter into that, for you to actually have an experience with that painting, for it to evoke something in you. So, the Gospels are not just to be something that is read, but the Gospels, as you begin to read them, they begin to read you. When you're looking for truth in the Gospels, what ends up happening is the Gospels begin to reveal the truth about you. And so there's this dynamic interplay between the two. So this is the reason why we're using these devices, comedy, tragedy, and fairy tale. And this morning, we're going to look at one that's more like a fairy tale. But before we begin in that, what I want to talk about is a sort of a recap, because the recap is essential to what we're going to talk about this morning. And that is at the beginning, when we talked about this last week, we said that the two questions that Mark is seeking to answer happen to be the two topics that create the best sellers in today's time. So you think about the two top best-selling topics are identity, who are you? How do you grow? What are you about? I mean, these are the big things that are hot sellers today. And the second one is purpose. What am I here for? What's this all about? And uh, Mark is answering those questions or attempting to answer the questions uh, as it relates to the person of Jesus. So we talked about Jesus going into the waters of baptism right there in, Ma in Mark chapter one. And as he's in the waters of baptism and he comes up, there's a, a voice from heaven. And is God saying, this is my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. With him, I am well pleased. And this is before Jesus has done anything. There's this affirmation of identity. 
And what we said about that is that your identity is something that comes from a relationship, a dynamic relationship with God. And that when you understand that, your identity is in relationship. It's not in individualism. And people seek identity very much as me outside of everybody else. And that, and that is helpful because sometimes we lose ourselves in the world of other people and we need to pull ourselves out. But that's not complete. You have to come back in to relationship with people. Um, but what I want to say and what I want to argue this morning is that your identity is not what you do. It is something much deeper. Your identity is not you're a husband, you're a wife, you're a father, you're a mother, you're a, uh, a great employee, you're a researcher, you're a, you're a, a technic, uh, technical uh, genius, you're, a, um, you're an artist. Uh, it's, not your, um, it's not even your, your, your personality type. So as you know, I'm uh, a geek in the area of uh, the Enneagram personality system, and, but it's not even that I'm a seven or you're a three or you're a five if you know the system at all. It, it, that's not it either. Or if you're familiar with another system, you know, I'm, a, I'm an extrovert. Right? We describe ourselves many times by these characteristics. And these are okay. They're not bad. They're not wrong. But they're not getting at the root. And oftentimes our identity is formed in these other things. And so we have to come back to the truth about our identity. And that is that we are loved. And that doesn't tell us much, does it? It's like, well, I'm loved. What, is that? what does that do? Because what it does is it goes against the angst that can never be settled, that can never be solved. The angst of who am I? <laughs> what am I here to do? This, this, there's an angst that can never be satisfied by all these other answers. Well, I'm a husband. I'm a, I'm a, you know, I'm a scientist. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a janitor. I'm a whatever I am. All these things can never satisfy the angst of your heart, the angst of your soul, which is, who am I? But the way it's answered is through receiving the love of God for you. It's your capacity to actually embrace that and the love of people around you because God's love is mediated through people around you. Can I receive the love that's coming towards me? And to the degree that you can, it starts to settle that. It starts to reduce that angst. And so Jesus has, is, receives this. And I want to uh, make this statement that uh, I think could be helpful for us in thinking about how this works, is that there's an addition before there's a, subtra- a subtraction. And sometimes we think that we have to subtract something in our lives before we can receive something. And that is experientially true oftentimes. But I want to argue that actually, from the biblical perspective, there's always an addition before there's a subtraction. That before Jesus is sent into the desert to be tested, right before then, there's this addition of God's love and God's grace that comes towards him. And Jesus receives that in the waters of baptism, and then he goes to the desert to have everything stripped from him. Now, you're with me. Everything gets stripped from him. The temptations that Jesus faces are actually there to strip him of those compulsions that are natural within all of us. We're born with them. We're born with these compulsions. And let me describe the three compulsions that Jesus faced, that we all face, that the ancient Israelites faced in the desert themselves. The compulsions are for sustenance, for safety, 
and for significance. Sustenance, turn these stones into bread if you're the son of man, son of, son of God. Safety, throw yourself off this pinnacle and God will protect you. God will guard you. He'll send his angels to support you. And in significance, if you will bow down before me, I will give you all the kingdoms of the world. And those are the three compulsions, but they have to be dealt with. And this is why life offers us all sorts of opportunities to be stripped of these things, because these compulsions do not set us up to actually fulfill our purpose on this planet. They're there to compromise that. They, they tend to do that. And so we have to go through life. We have to enter the desert frequently. And as we enter the desert, those compulsions start to be dealt with more and more. What we realize is that those needs are not bad. Those needs are, are fine. But the way we go about meeting those needs of sustenance, of safety, of significance, oftentimes are unhelpful to us. They're self-destructive even. And so what we learn is that uh, God has a different path for us, for each of us, and that we can actually find those needs being truly met but not in the ways we've oftentimes gone about meeting those. And so Jesus enters the desert to be tested by the devil for 40 days. And then he emerges, and that's when his ministry begins. And the first thing that Jesus says in Mark chapter 1, and if you could have your Bibles open, because we're going to go to a couple passages, uh, we're going to look at Mark chapter 1, and then after that, Deuteronomy chapter 8. So if you're finding Mark chapter 1 fairly quickly, and maybe uh, also find Deuteronomy 8 if you can. And we're going to go back and forth between those two. And uh, Mark chapter 1, right after the temptation, as you see in, chapter, in verse 12 uh, and 13, then skip to 14, and after John was put into prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. What is this proclamation? The proclamation is in verse 15. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. So repent and believe the good news. All right. So this is, uh, so this is the, um, the fairy tale. A fairy tale that would be almost impossible for any ancient Jew to believe. The kingdom of God has come near. Because what they had been waiting for was the kingdom of God. They were waiting for God to finally set them free from Roman captivity. And, from, and to restore them as this nation that was glorious, that was free, that was powerful. That had God's presence within it. And Jesus says, it's come. It's here. It is here and it is near. It is both coming and it already has arrived. It's, the, it's this, this ongoing developmental experience of heaven on earth. Um, there are aspects of it. And then there's also uh, aspects where it's not really fully here. But Jesus is saying it's come in a new way. The fairy tale has come true. God is near. Now, with every fairy tale, there's also a challenge. There's also a difficulty. There's there are villains, right? There are, um, there are tragedies within it, right? But this is the fairy tale that it has come and things are about to change. So what Jesus is saying is that 
we are in a moment of time right now that something so dramatic has changed, something so big has shifted. Do you see it? And by way of explaining this, I want to talk about time um, and time and it's sort of how we feel and experience time. You know, when you're in points of crises, time slows down. You ever been in a car accident? And what happens in a matter of seconds feels like so much is happening in that moment because time feels like it has slowed down. Uh, but then there's the regular grind of every day and that can feel very slow and that can feel very long, right? We've been saying about COVID-19 that people feel the same. My goodness, it feels like it's been years that we've been in this and it's only been months, but it feels like a long time. It feels like time in some way has slowed down. Time has become um, an, an enemy at times. And this is, this is sort of the chronological or chronos, the way time is used by the Greeks. So crisis is one, chronos is another one. There's another one though. And uh, Jim has oftentimes referred to these, uh, the, these Greek ways of thinking of time. And that's, and that's the kairos, the moment. This is a moment. This is a moment in time. And, and it's a moment to respond to because it may pass. You may not have this again. And so you need to respond to this moment. And that's what Jesus is doing with the kingdom of heaven. He is saying, this is a Kairos moment. You need to respond to it. Uh, this is a moment that may not come. It's going to be here for a bit. The opportunity is going to be here for a bit, but it will pass. And so respond to it now. And the degree that you respond to it, you get to enter into it. And so he's saying the kingdom of God has come. And, uh, and this is the time now. But in order to see this, you see what had, had to happen for Jesus is he had had to go through, well, he, had, he had to have that addition, the love of God come into his life and to receive that. Because if you don't receive that love and you don't live from that, you're living from something else. You're living from a compulsion. So you have to have both the addition of God's love and the reception of that. And you also have to have the subtraction of these compulsions that tend to drive our systems. And when we're in compulsion, we are not aware. We can't be aware of what's going on around us, right? Because we're not in the present moment. We're either off into the future in our minds trying to accomplish and achieve or in the past regretting something that's taken place and that we, things about ourselves that we didn't like, that we didn't do, or things that we did that we're ashamed of. We're either in, in, in either timeline. We're not in the present timeline. So we can't see the Kairos moments that God has brought to us. And I suggest that Jesus was the one who was capable of responding to both the love of God and the reception of that, and then the subtraction of these compulsions so that he could be very present in the moment and capture this Kairos moment. The kingdom of God is here. I'm going to make another, a further, uh, I'm going to push this further along and say, I actually believe that the kingdom of God was always available and always present. But it was that Jesus himself could see it. And when he saw it, he opened the door to others and said, this is a Kairos moment, enter into it. I do believe that these moments pass, but I don't know that the moment itself passes and I think we become blinder to it. I think we become hardened to it. But I think the Kairos moments is, are always present and for us to enter into it. 
And so Jesus himself is in the presence and is able to respond and not react. He doesn't have the compulsion to, oh, I've got to be loved by the people, so I've got to really work hard, or, or, or I've got to accomplish a lot, so I've got to do, or I've got to, I've got to run away from, uh, from responsibility because it's just too much and I want to be free. There's, these compulsions are no longer present, as dominant as they once were, and so Jesus is able to be present in, in the moment. And that, is, my friends, is what I suggest is our path as well, is that we receive daily the practice of receiving God's love. I am loved. I'm receiving the love of those around me. I see their, their love imperfectly, but I recognize it as God's love for me. And I also willingly embrace the season that is hard right now on all of us. As part of the work, it is there for me to be stripped of these compulsions the compulsions associated with sustenance, with safety, and with significance. And I embrace that. It hurts, it's hard, but I embrace it. Now listen, if you are in a place where you're drinking more these days, or you've been binging Netflix quite a bit, or you're just plain in denial. Like, I don't believe any of this. I think it's all conspiracy. I don't want to believe in it. Which is really what we're saying. We don't want to believe in it. So we're just sort of like in denial and, and just trying to push through. Grace to all of us, right? Uh, some of us will seek to fight something. Like, I'm angry. I need to punch something. Like it, we are, we're all going to have certain reactions to this season. Grace to you, my friends. You've gotten back into an addiction that you'd broken. Our hearts are with you. If you're angry and you're fighting against everything and everyone around you, our hearts are with us, are with you and with ourselves, right? We're together in this, friends. This is hard. If you've been watching more Netflix than you have in the past and you're kind of ashamed of it, grace to you, <laughs> right? We're kind of all in this together. And we have to recognize, like, we're going to do this. So long as you, re here's the thing. I always say this to, 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 to many people I meet with. I say, it isn't about getting it right. It's just that now you know how to get back on the path. If you know the path and you know how to get back on the path, that's the biggest, that's the biggest game changer for you. But to know the path is you've got to know these things about yourself. You've got to know, oh, yeah, I've got these compulsions, right? That's why I need the desert. That's why I need this season right now because it's there to strip me of a lot of this stuff right it's getting back on the path get back on the path you know you binge watch something okay i did that now i can get back on the path because i know the path means that i have to get back to facing these difficulties and to continue to ask god to recognize god's love first of all and then to ask god help me in the desert Help me to embrace this. I want to receive more from you, and I want to be delivered from my own compulsions. I want this trade, right? The addition and the subtraction. I want that to happen. Because I want to be in this Kairos moment right now, because there's something happening in our world that is amazing, folks. It is terrible. We don't deny that. But it is also amazing. The kingdom of heaven 
is at hand. It's right here. There's something going on in this moment that's about to change a whole lot of things in this world. And so we want to be prepared. We want to be able to respond to this moment. Right? This is the reason why in Mark 1, and I'm going to skip my pas- the passage I was going to read in Deuteronomy 8 because I think this is really what I'm feeling to be the, the emphasis of this morning's uh, message. But Jesus finishes with the kingdom of God, ha- it has come near. And the second part of that verse is repent and believe the good news. That's what this is about, my friends, is that that's what we've been talking about. Repentance is, okay, can I believe? Repent- re- repentance means this. It means change your mind and then change your behaviors. You got to change your, your ability to see comes first. So do you see it? Do you see the kingdom of heaven is here? Do you see that this is a Kairos moment? And then if you do, then begin to change the way you see things. Begin to change your mind and begin to change your behavior, right? Repent. But the, but, but the, the, the punchline, I think, to me is not just repent. It's, it's repent because this is the good news, This is, believe the good news. The good news is that heaven is near. That this is something that we have an opportunity to be part of something amazing and something significant that is changing the world. And it's difficult to see in this moment. But wherever you are on this sort of, let's call it a continuum, the continuum of, are you in the process of more receiving right now God's love? Are you more in the process of the desert? Or you're now starting to see and you're repenting and believing the good news, right? Wherever you are in that space, you're on the path. The path is receiving the love of God for yourself. Then dealing with these compulsions, allowing the tests of life to deal with these compulsions. To then opening your eyes to see the moment that is ours right now for us to enter into and to live differently because the kingdom of heaven is near. God is doing something wonderful in this moment right now. So I want this to be an encouragement to us this morning because it is pretty difficult. And so if you've fallen off the path, grace to you, grace to each of us. But repent and believe the good news and come back. Because this, my friends, is the way for us to live in this present moment and to live fully into the purposes that are yours and mine for this moment.